What's going on, beautiful people? I am Franceli Chapman Varela, and I represent the South Side of Heaven, and you are tuned in to the Unconventional Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unconventional Christian Podcast, and we have another amazing guest today, Franceli, all the way hey, from hey, the hey, West hey. Coast. Listen, still represent the X, though. BX all day. BX all day. You know, from the West Coast by way of the BX. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yo, um, you know what's so crazy? Uh, before we even start the uh, podcast, I would love for you to pray us into today's conversation. And it would be my on. honor. Yes. Whew. Well, Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to be a witness to what you have done in our lives, Lord God, to you said that our testimonies will bear such fruit and transform lives. So I thank you, Lord God, for the ears that will hear and for the hearts that will be turned by this conversation, Lord God. We just ask that our seeds be sown into good ground and good soil. We thank God for just the germination and the growth of this podcast and for all that it is doing in the kingdom. May you expand its territory. May it reach people and touch people like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah, you, you turned us up now. <laughs> so um, one of the crazy things is that you're probably one of the first guests that was more, um, this this conversation came from a lot of people wanting to hear more from you. Um, you know, you jumped on the prayer room live and, you know, I didn't even expect you to come on and you came through with the bars. So it was only right, man, that, uh, we bring that conversation to the unconventional Christian podcast this evening. Listen, let's do it. I'm happy to be here. Yo, so, um, you know, uh, Selly, I'm going to say Selly because I'm about to yeah. say Selly. Listen, um, it's all good. It's Franceli Chapman Barrera. Right? Yes, yes. Look hey. at you. <laughs> so tell me, hey, look. So, so give us some background on who Franceli is. Like, where are you from? Um, how did you end up in the West Coast? Um, give me a, like, you know, a little bit of background. You know, let me give you a little adobo. Let me put some flavor in your ear. Yeah, okay? yeah. Um, so I was born in the Dominican Republic. So shout out to all my Afro Latinos out there. Yeah, um, you know, I yeah. gotta, I gotta give you a little bit of that. You know what I'm saying? Just a little bit, so the people know that I come very far. Jesus brought me very far. Um, <laughs> but yes, I came to America illegally with my mother. I can say that I am a U.S. citizen. Can nobody kick me out? Um, but yes, you know, my father lived in America. My father was a professor. Um, one thing led to another. He went to DR. <laughs> Got my mom's knocked up and um he was really advocating for me and my mother to come to america but my mother wasn't really about that life and eventually we did we came through mexico and made our way to boston then went to new york then went back to boston then went to rhode island then i went to illinois then i went back to new york like i just i've moved around a lot and i think that as a child it's so difficult um just when you're making friends you you got to move. Um, but it is exactly what God did to prepare me to be able to know how to minister to all kinds of people, to be around all kinds of people, to be able to shift and groove and move and code switch. Um, but I did stay in New York the longest once my parents separated in 98. Um, and moving to New York in the nineties, right when, you know, you're going through puberty, 
you're in junior high school and you're shifting and you just want people to like you. You just want to be validated. Right. And people made fun of me every single day. They called me everything. Foobly, oogly, gaptorious, payless. You name it, I've heard it. Um, and one of those things, it was because the first week of school, I went to a like 95% predominantly Dominican school and the girls wanted to fight me because they said, I think that I'm better than them because I talk and walk like a white girl. Because mm. um, whatever the reason, we have this dysmorphia of our culture that speaking properly <laughs> equates right. to you speaking like a white person. Right. And um, and so in order to survive Washington Heights at the time, and then we moved to the Bronx, you had to, <laughs> I had to learn how to say, yo, son, be real quick. You feel me? <laughs> I, had to, I had to adjust, you know? And so, uh, again, all of this without, I mean, God has always been with me, right? Like, I feel like you're, when you're Latin, you're birthed Catholic. Like, you just don't have a choice. You're born Catholic. But I believe that I was born Catholic by culture and not by relationship or by right. actual like practice. So yes, I was baptized in the Catholic Church when I was like nine years old in DR. And we said the Lord's Prayer every night before we went to bed and we prayed at the dinner table. Sometimes Easter, sometimes Christmas, sometimes just because, but church wasn't a big thing. So I didn't grow up knowing to pray to God about these things when I was right. coming home crying every day. I didn't know that I could talk to God or that God could speak to me on how to get through these things. So right. I predominantly leaned on the world, my peers who are also were a hot A mess right. to counsel me on how to get through my adolescence and puberty. So it was a rough time in them streets because I was out to my own defense. So I'll leave it right. there for a little bit and let you guide the conversation because I'll talk forever. Nah, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, I think that that's um, dope. So your father is your, your, is your father Dominican as well? Yes, but my father is your complexion. Yeah, yeah, he's black like you know. me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he's a black man who just so happens to land in Dominican Republic. The interesting thing is, my grandfather is actually from. The families argue about it. He's either from St. Vincent or St. Thomas, so I'm West Indian as well. And then my great grandfather was a slave. My dad actually showed me my great grandfather's freedom papers before he passed mm -hmm. away. So we were on the Chapmans because a lot of people are like, how are you Dominican? Your last name Chapman, uh, slavery. Duh. But, um, <laughs> that's the same with me. I'm, I'm, I'm Nigerian and my last name is Thompson. I'm like, what else did you think happened? But, um, so I'm Chapman, but it's because a family from the Netherlands owned the Chapmans mm -hmm. and the Chapmans were dropped off in the West Indies and also in the Carolinas. So there's a lot wow. of Chapmans in North and South Carolina. But I only know this because my father had a PhD in anthropology and he taught me everything I needed to know about being a black woman first. Um, you are a black woman who speaks Spanish. And so I've been that my whole life. But that also was a struggle and a battle, identity. And yeah. not only did I not know my identity in Christ, but I did not know my identity as an Afro-Latina woman. That wasn't cool back then. Right. And so I was running around telling everybody I was black and they're like, no, you're not black. Why you say that? Don't do that. And so it, it was just an interesting time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you touched on the fact that, you know, um, growing up, you grew up in a, you grew up uh, predominantly in a Catholic household. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you officially um, begin your own relationship with Jesus Christ? Like, you know what I'm saying? Step into... That shift. 
Yeah. Let me tell you how the Lord works. The Lord works in mysterious ways. So, you know, me and my fast little tail back in the day, you know, I, <laughs> my freshman year of college, I went on vacation to Virginia Beach and I met a Marine. Mm-hmm. And he was super dope. And I was going through a whole bunch of issues at home. I was still yeah. living on my mother's couch, commuting, commuting to college. And I was like, right. I want a real college experience. People, uh, Facebook had just come out. People were on Facebook in the dorms, yeah. legend. I was like, I want that experience. So I figured I'll kill two birds with one stone and go to school in Norfolk where he was stationed. And I said, because even if it doesn't work out, I didn't move to Norfolk for this man. I moved for school. Oh, yeah. There, there are only two colleges in Norfolk, if you know Virginia, ODU and Norfolk State. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the difference. I literally said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." It landed on Norfolk State. I picked up the phone. I called. I said, hey, my name is Tricelli Chapman. I have a 3.4 GPA. I'm from the Bronx. I'm an actress, but I need to get out of my mother's house. And so what do I got to do to get into your school kind of thing? Lord and behold, it was a historically black college. Praise the Lord. The Lord (laughs) knew what I needed. And so I went to a black college. And of course, there was a church across the street called um, Gethsemane Church. And I was invited by one of my friends to go to church. And I went and I was like, oh my God, it's like the movies. Like they're clapping, they're singing. Like, you know, because anyone who's been to mass knows it's very quiet. The complete (laughs) opposite. It don't go down like that. So I was like, oh my God, black people really do it like this. And so, but because no one taught me relationship, I had all this shame and conviction that I was in college and I was a cheerleader and (laughs) I was partying, drinking, fornicating, doing all of the things, okay? And so I did not feel like I had the right to be in the four walls of the church if I was doing what I was doing. Because, again, no one taught me relationships. So I would go to church here and there. I mean, to the point my father died my sophomore year of college. It was a really difficult time. But I had professors who bought me books, bought me groceries. I was so drunk from going out the night before. I passed out. And my professor called me that she was downstairs because she was taking me to church. And I just put on some shoes, brushed my teeth, and went downstairs still drunk. Like, I could smell the alcohol coming out of my pores. And I got in the car because I felt like this woman has done so much for me. How could I? I totally forgot that I said yes to going to church the next day. And I felt like when I walk into this building, I am going to be set on fire. Like, (laughs) these are the things that I thought of. But it's my true process. And cut to all these years later, I'm sitting at home and I'm watching Netflix. And I'm watching the reality show of Pharrell putting together a church choir in Norfolk. His uncle's church is the church I went to drunk in Virginia. Gethsemane. No, Gethsemane is oh, the first church. Okay. But the, the church, church that my professor took me to okay. was Pharrell's uncle's church. Wow. And the only re- I was sitting here watching it and I had like a like an out-of-body experience flashback moment of being in college. I, was like, I remember that church. Right. That's where I was drunk. <laughs> you know, so man, how far he's brought me. But that's where it started, college. Right. Like that was right. the seed that was sown, but again, I felt unqualified. So it didn't really start happening until after college. You move back home. People tell you, hey, you're going to just go to school, get a degree, and you're going to be all right. That's not what happened. I graduated, and I was right back home in the Bronx at my mother's house. So I was like, where they do that at? So 
I just started being convicted about actually talking to God about feeling so depressed that I sacrificed so much to go to school and I, I didn't bear any fruit for it. Right. And I went on a 40 day fast with a friend of mine and that the rest was history. That 40 day fast is what led me here. Wow. So what that 40 day fast consists of for you? So my friend from childhood, um, she went to a church her whole life, a small church in Harlem, and they were going on a church fast, 40 day fast. And she was like, Oh, you know, everybody in the church was older. She was like one of the few young people. And I don't know what fixed my brain to say this to her, nothing but Jesus. I was like, Oh girl, I didn't know what a fast consisted of. I was like, well, I'll go on a fast with you. So you don't have to go on it by yourself. Like I'll be your accountability partner. Like I'll do it for you. Yeah. And so the 40 day fast consisted of a Daniel fast, reading scriptures three times a day, um, eating only specific foods. But for us, we only ate once a day. Mm. Um, however you wanted to do that. But this 40 day fast was so intense. I had never done something like this before. And then, you know, I was in New York. I was an actor. So I was going to events where it's open bar and I can't drink because I'm on this fast. Um, so it definitely challenged me in a whole new way and opened up so much for me about what it means to know God, hear from God. And that really started my journey to like really pursue God on a whole other level. Mm, okay. So in a process of now doing this fast and, 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 and stepping more into your faith, um, what does that really look like for you over the last couple of years? Because how long have you been in LA now? It'll be eight years in February. Mm, okay. And I think I went on that fast either in 2011 or 2012. Okay. Let's say, because I lost count at this point. So I've been on this journey a long time. Right. Um, but what I know is this, moving to LA, I had no choice but to lean on God. I literally came here with no job, no car, <laughs> two suitcases and a one-way plane ticket. Um, and it's because this same friend who I went on a 40-day fast Knew that I had always thought about LA, desired it, but if we're keeping it all the way real, was too scared to actually do it. I made a right. bunch of excuses. I'm from New York. LA's fake. I don't do that. Everybody on drugs, you know, like just projecting all these judgments because I was too scared to really take the jump. And so she called me and was like, I found you a place. I said, what are you talking about? So anyway, cut to, she found me a place that was really affordable. And I was like, I couldn't pass up this opportunity. I'm like, my mama's house ain't going nowhere. I'm just going to go. And if it right. works out, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Again, God leading every, he orders all your steps. The woman right. who owned, owned the apartment, which I was going to be subletting a room, was right. a believer. Uh, she lived in Harlem. We met at a Starbucks. And she was like, listen, this apartment is a low-income apartment. I rent it out for $500 a month, this room wow. in LA that's unheard of. And she's like, but I do it to help people. I basically charge exactly what the rent is. I'm not trying to make no money. I just want to bless someone, but the right kind of people. So she just right. wanted to feel my spirit. She's like, what's your plan? I said, I don't really have a plan. I'm just going to see. I'll give it six months to a year. Then whatever. If anything, I'll come back. And that was the conversation. Right. I move into an apartment I've never been to. And when I get here, both of my roommates are like sold out. Christian women who don't have sex, don't drink, don't smoke. I was like, what <laughs> is happening? What? You don't do what? You don't have sex? What? Girl, bye. 
Like that, I was like, I didn't leave New York and move out of my mom's house to now be police, the purity police. To yeah. Be told, like, cause I, my roommates in love and in accountability, cause we would go to church together. As soon as I flew to LA, I was already watching one church. So I started going to one church. I joined the prayer team. Like I went all in cause I had yeah, yeah. Like, no friends, no family for real, no job. It was like, I, right, it's me and God. And so I did that. And then my roommates, when guys would come over or I started dating people, they were like, mm, sis, y'all not equally yoked. I was like, you ain't my mama. Like, I wouldn't say that because I was on the prayer team and I was like, right. there's a way to do things. But that's what I was thinking. And he said, already when you think it, you wrong. So already I was like in my mind cussing them out. Like, you ain't my mama trying to patrol me about what I can and cannot do. Right. But cut to look at me abstaining now you know <laughs> so, <laughs> how how long did it get you to the place of um abstaining oh and it's okay because <laughs> i'm so darn hard-headed let me tell you something i'm thank the lord that he's so patient and so kind um after before i left new york i was in a very like toxic relationship i was dating a man 10 years older than me who grew up in the church, who knew the Bible better than me. And I will never forget it. When I went on that 40-day fast, I didn't speak to him because I was trying to figure out if I should not be in that relationship anymore. And he was blowing up my phone, calling all the time, all the time. And I told him, I finally answered the phone. and said, listen, the Lord is telling me that I need to take some time away from you during this fast so I can get clarity. He said, your fast is not of the Lord, it's of the devil. Mm. And that's when I started hearing and seeing the power of God that like when you really start walking and pursuing him, people's yeah. demons really come out, you know, cause light right. and darkness cannot be in the same room. Mm. And so when I got out of that relationship, I was like, Ooh, I need a break. You know, cause I lost my virginity at 15. I was a hot box out here young, you know, Yeah. my dad, my dad wasn't around. So, you know, things happen really young. Yeah. And so I got to this place where I was like, mm, I need a break. So it wasn't even about God. It was just like, oh, I'm going to take a break for a year. Right. Um, and that was at 26. So from 26 to 27, I abstained. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take myself to DR as a as a gift to myself for holding it down for a whole year. Look at me. Um, and after a year, although I wanted to get back in the game, it felt like, well, I don't want to just give myself up to anybody. Like I'm a born again virgin. Like right. at this point, you know, like these are the things that Sally thinks about. She's crazy. Right. But you know, we praise God. And so I moved to California. I reconnected with someone from my past. And again, this is how sin works. Yeah. This is how the enemy works. It's like, oh, this is not adding another number. Like this is somebody I've already, like we hear, yeah. like, what are the odds? I see you. You see me. We're here. Boom. And it happened. And I felt horrible. Mm. Like, horrible. And I chalked it up to the fact that I'm a believer. He's agnostic. Right. So, you know, that's why it didn't work. So, so I wait. Went, so agnostic is? Someone who does not deny nor confirm the existence of God. So they're not an atheist. They're mm. not saying God doesn't exist at all, but they're also not professing, I believe in God. Like they're right. on the fence right. and they, they want to be proved that one of the two exists. And so right. again, the Bible is very clear about being lukewarm. Yeah. And so 
that that was the relationship that my roommates were like, eh, y'all not equally yoked, and mm-hmm. I was pissed. Um, but I understand it so well now. Yeah. And and so I abstained again. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just get back on the horse. I'm not doing this. Um, and then I met an actor. And then he just effed up my life. It was, it was the best <laughs> way I could I can put it. Um, because you know, here's the thing: God created sex for us. It's not a bad thing. He, yeah. he created it. Be fruitful and multiply. He's like right. enjoy it, but enjoy it in the covenant of marriage. And so, uh, when you trip and slip on something that's actually really, really good, um, because this was the first time in my life where I really felt the maturity of God. And then I slept with someone who was like my best friend, you yeah. know, and we, it was the first man that had ever prayed with me. Um, it's the first man I ever went on a fast for to ask the Lord if he was my husband. So I heard God tell me, show him what a woman of God looks like. And when a year into our friendship, we slept together, I felt like I failed God. Mm-hmm. I really felt like everything that happened after that I continued to allow. I know some of you already heard a little bit of the testimony from the prayer room of like just staying in a situationship that doesn't serve you, a man who's not stepping up for you, who's not honoring you, who's not choosing to really like we would go to events together and he would just introduce me as Sully. You know, mm-hmm. he wouldn't say my friend because you can't say my friend. Um, but I'm also not his girlfriend. And so, mm-hmm. and you're okay with that because you, you, you make all these excuses to why it's okay. And I, I somehow allowed it to continue because I somehow felt like it was my fault because I fell. And so this was my punishment for not obeying God. Right. But then why would God punish me if I'm still doing my foolery? You still sleeping with him, sis. Like, right. you know, so, um, it took about two and a half years for that to end. Yeah. Um, and when I went to him and said, Hey, the Lord has been really pulling at me to start a Bible study and I can't continue to run from my call. Right. He told, he told me that he had a dream that I was going to become a pastor. Hmm. Um, and so he's like, I have to leave your life. I have to get out of the way of what God is going to do for you. And it was, it was so painful and so excruciating, but it was necessary. Um, because it's like, I can't be a leader of a Bible study and have this kryptonite situation. It felt like neither of us, we would like not have sex for nine months not have sex for five months. Like we would stop and then it'll happen again. And so it was just this cycle that I couldn't figure out how to break. And that's what a soul tie does. I think when you really know God and a soul tie gets constructed, it's so difficult to really break that off. But praise the Lord, there are prayers specifically. If anyone wants to know what the soul tie prayer is, I'm happy to send it to you um, for you to really pray off any of those those ties that you have made throughout your life. And so, yeah, three years ago, we parted ways and um, I started my Bible study. And here we are three years later, I'm, I became ordained. I'm or, I became an ordained minister last October, Fire. October 2020. So I guess he was right. Um, <laughs> what was that? What was that process like going in, like to um, become an ordained minister? 
you know, the interesting thing is, is I had been praying for mentorship. I had been praying. I had left one church. Um, and so I was kind of out here just without a church home and I was still leading this Bible study and it was getting really difficult to continue to lead without accountability, without somewhere I could go and talk and get counsel. And so I specifically prayed and, um, through a friend, I was like, I want a woman. I want a female pastor specifically because it's a different type of challenge to be a woman in ministry because the patriarchy is alive and well, even in the church. And so I was introduced to a wonderful apostle, pastor, Kimberly Stotzer. And he's like, I think she'd be good for you. I'm going to introduce you. They have a small house church. I said, okay, cool. So on July 4th of 2019, we went out to breakfast and an earthquake happened. Wow. And there was a, a TV right above where I was sitting. And when the earthquake happened, she literally like put her whole body on top of mine to make sure that if anything fell, that I would be safe. And this is our first time meeting. And for me, that was confirmation from God that this is a woman who's going to cover me, protect me, right. and really lead me. Um, so there was, that was a no brainer. Two days later, I was at church. Um, and I've been part of Firehouse Community Church ever since. Right. And when I came to them, they already knew I've been leading a Bible study, preaching every month for the last year and a half. And they were like, you're a minister. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't want that. I didn't even want the Bible study. So no, don't call me a minister. Don't call me a pastor. Don't do it. And they were like, like, no, they, right. They're like, no, that's who you are. You need to kind of embrace it. And you should join the minister and training program. And you should really start this process to get your right. license. And I was like, and so I did, I started my process and you know, it, it came with, you know, mentorship, reading certain books, preaching often, um, knowledge of the gospels. Um, and then you have a license to minister, which means I can baptize people, which I baptized my first yeah. uh, woman, uh, my first woman last year, in April. Um, right. or, or was it this year? I think it was this year. COVID brain. I can't yeah. tell. No, but, uh, pa Passover weekend of this year, I've baptized my first person. So I think that you can do funerals, weddings, and baptisms. But yeah. in order, an ordained pastor means you can have your own church. And that's the next level of licensure. So I'm a licensed minister on the basic level. And then the next level would be um, a year from now, I can submit an application. I have to go before a council and a board and preach to them. And then they have to vote if I am, you know, ordained and esteemed enough to honor you know, have the honor and the privilege to be able to lead a church and then I can then give other people licenses and I have the the privilege to then license someone else to become a minister. So that's the next step. We'll see. <laughs> okay. And, and I have to double back on something you said. Um, mm -hmm. Now you said that to pray off a soul tie, there's certain things that you have to pray on specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go into soul tie. Yeah. Um... How prevalent are soul ties in this day and age? You know, it's interesting. People don't realize it that you're walking around really sad, really angry, and you have no idea why. Like, you're absolutely fine. But the reality is, is that when you haven't prayed off soul ties, you're literally tied not just to all the people you slept with, but all the people they've slept with. And um, specifically women, we are the receivers. And our wombs carry a lot, not yeah. just children. 
but it carries trauma, it carries promise. And so when a man enters your body, he if he hasn't prayed off his soul ties, he is entering you with all his demons and everyone attached to him. Um, and so how I knew my life was turned up, and I've I think I've only shared this publicly once with a pastor on a different podcast that never aired. So I think this is the first time I'm really saying it publicly that when I, because I fasted for that man that I finally slept with recently, you know, all those years ago, I fasted for him. I first man I prayed with when you pray with someone is very intimate. And so praying is just as intimate as sleeping together, Mm. if not more so. And so when you're praying with a man, that's not your brother in Christ. That's not your pastor. Like you're praying with a man that you're dating. It's it can be very dangerous if this is not someone you're actually going or pursuing marriage. Um, and so I didn't know that at the time. I was just excited that somebody wanted to pray with me. I started having dreams about him often. Like I had a dream that demons were surrounding him, fighting for his soul. I've had, like, I've had all kinds of dreams. I still have dreams about him to this day, which I'm still asking the Lord, what is that about? Um, yeah. but it's very interesting. That is what a soul tie does when you are connected to someone. Yeah. It, it transcends the physical. It, it goes into the spiritual. And so it's important for you to have peace in order to really not feel tossed to and fro for you to really pray off those spirits off of you. Right, right. Um, when I think about that, I don't know why that just tied me to a movie because I think about Soul Tie, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, you've seen, have you seen, what is the, I've seen the vampire movies. What's the vampire movies that were popular? Breaking Dawn? Uh, the Twilight. Yep. The Twilight. Twilight. Did you see any of them? Yep. Oh, yeah. I saw them. So you know how, uh, what's his name? The Wolf Kid was. Yeah. He was like tied to the baby. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like like that's like like it's almost they like can always see what's going on with that character in advance. It's just a tie in them. There's emotion that this person feels. This one kind of knows some either danger is coming or something like that. So when right. you say that, I think of that like a soul tie. Um, there's different types of soul ties. I think. Yeah. Obviously, just like there's different types of love, right? There's a godly right. love. So. I know that I have soul ties with some of my sisters, you know, Mm -hmm. I have a a dear friend that her mother was on life support and I stood there holding her hand, praying with her when they unplugged her mom. Mm. And I think that when you go through something like that with someone, your souls are connected for life. Like no matter where I am, no matter where she is, that is a experience that bonded us together forever. So a soul tie isn't just a sexual romantic soul tie but there can be soul ties in spirit in other ways Mm, okay fire um yeah let's you know um so now that you started the bible study right Mm -hmm. how has the bible study transformed your life like how has it transformed do we got time do we got time (laughs) (laughs) you know it has literally changed my life i don't it's very hard to describe the humility that it gives you and also how it blows your mind that God could trust you in such a way that God literally believes that you, the wretched wreck soul that you are 
have the capacity in the room to be used to literally change the lives of other people. Right. Um, when I do my check-ins with my women and I hear them say things like, this Bible study changed my life. I'm closer to God because of this Bible study. I can hear his voice clearly because of this Bible study. Like, it's just like, God, you, I know I did nothing. I know God does everything. Right. But the fact that he trusted me enough to be the vessel and the conduit to right. bear that kind of fruit. Right. There are moments that I literally lay on my floor and just cry. Mm. Sometimes I still can't believe that I'm worth that. That like, that he would think that I'm, I'm enough. enough. Yeah. Like what? Right. Me? Right. Because I'm still working through stuff. I'm still right. not perfect. I mean, imperfection isn't the goal, but you kind of have this idea that somehow you should have it way more together right. before you could really take up this kind of mantle. Right. And that's not the truth. Cause when you look at Matthew, Luke, Mark, John, Judas, like none of them were qualified. Right. Uh, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. He still chose her. Right. Um, and women weren't even allowed to be reading or writing and she was reading the gospel and writing right. the gospel. So, you know, it, 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 I cannot describe it in words of what had it not been for this Bible study, I wouldn't believe myself to be a leader in this way. I wouldn't believe that I am a pastor. Like now I can actually say it out loud. You know, my friends call me um <laughs> ratchet pastor or petty pastor because, you know, they knew me before the title. So they like to keep me humble and right. just remind me like this. <laughs> but I've I've come to really embrace the title and, and be okay with this is who God has called me. He hasn't just called me an actor, a writer, a producer, but he's also called me minister, prophet, pastor. So I have to I have to walk in that. And right, I think the right, Bible right. study the Bible study has given me the wings to believe to walk in that identity. Right, right, right. Um, how many times do you guys have it? Once a week? We meet once a month. Once um, a because I also have to preach at my church. So I preach the Bible study once a month. I preach at church once or twice a month. And then I also do an intercessor prayer call with my leadership team where we pray for every single person by name that's part of our ministry. Woo! That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And I know because once you get into that space, um, even in the prayer room, when I look at my DMs and I'm like, and you, you can't like ignore certain messages, mm -hmm. you know, like you have to respond and it becomes, and you don't realize what, um, chain you're like, what, what, what you're opening up yourself up to in this space. Right. You're constantly praying because, you know, when you pray, you're shaking, you know, you're shaking up, you're sh shaking up hell a little bit. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, yep. we're going to find out who's, Who's up there uh, slowing up the souls coming that way? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, one of the big things that you did touch on, though, um, you touched on trauma and um, mm -hmm. from childhood, um, the traumas of your, you know, your father and your mother separating. How has trauma, um, how did trauma affect your self-worth? I mean... I thank God for Jesus that he was able to even reveal to me that mm -hmm. that's what it did. <laughs> Cause I don't, I don't think you're even aware that a lot of the decisions you're making, how you feel, who you choose to like date, all of that is 
part of those things. Like mm-hmm. um, therapy wasn't something that I did, you know, at the time, because when I was younger, I'll never forget it. I went to a school counselor and my school counselor was like, hey, can I talk to your parents? And, that, you know, I don't know the difference between a school counselor and, and a therapist and what can be said or not said. I, you're a kid. You don't know any of those things. So I told her, I said, yeah, you can talk to my mom, like, anytime, whatever, call her. But whatever you do, don't talk to my dad. Um, I had a lot, but who I was constantly talking about in my counseling session was my father. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I came home from school one day, and my dad whipped out the belt. And the only thing he said is, oh, so you talking to people? Because I guess the counselor called him into the school and you know my father was one of three black professors in an all-white town where the kkk used to stay up the street mm-hmm. and you know we were marching and protesting for that and so my father was always really really particular about discretion and privacy and not you know and again the latin black man machismo of like yo you don't talk family business and so i didn't get like abused but you know you got hit with the belt like when you got yeah. in trouble i had parents who believed in that and so my father whooped me yeah. and it tra- that was the beginning of trauma for me in the sense of not knowing where to put my stuff because mm-hmm. then i shut down i didn't trust a counselor or a therapist right it literally took me to get covid and survive covid wow. to start going to therapy as an adult individually Um, prior over the years, I've gone to like group therapy, but one-on-one therapy, I couldn't get myself to go because of this thing that happened to me Mm. at eight, nine years old, you know? So that's just one example of how trauma can have an everlasting effect for years. And you don't necessarily know it. You're just like, "Mm, nah, I'd rather do group therapy. One-on-one's not really for me. Like you're not tying it to this thing because- those are things you don't always want to remember or you just right. move on. You forgive and you think you forget. Um, but it, it stays in your subconscious to how you make those decisions. So that's one area of my life. But then there was also, like I shared in the prayer room, you know, my brother and I being six months apart with different mothers and my father always going on business trips and my mom staying through all the women, through the fighting, through throwing plates and breaking chairs and all of the things, you know, when I met a man who like didn't yell at me and we weren't arguing, he was my best friend. We laughed and joked and freestyled together for hours. And he prayed with me, even though he was sleeping with other women in Hollywood, even though he was like, Oh, we can't be together, but I want to be with you, but I don't want to be with you, but I'm not ready. It was like, well, it's not as bad as what I grew up with, you know? There ha- he has to love me. There has to be something that keeps him coming back, you know? Um, we just both got to figure it out. And once we figure it out and we're ready, we're going to be together. So not understanding that it's the trauma of like, this is what you knew. Mm-hmm. And just because it's better, it doesn't mean it's what's best for you. Right. And I think a lot of people, we get caught up in, oh, this is better than the last thing. But right. just because it's better don't mean it's it. Right. So, um, I, I, this is because you guys, it's so many things to touch on things said just now. Um, was there a point in time you felt like because of the trauma from your childhood, you 
um, it took for you to get to a place of feeling worthy? Like, do you feel like there was a time that you came across good men and because you didn't feel worthy of that, that you like pushed them away, even if it's even if they were the, they were the perfect example of what a man was like. Was there times that um, because of your trauma, you didn't feel worthy of that love? Oh, for sure. In college, I'll never forget my college boyfriend. Uh, my dad had died in college, as I shared, and I I'll never forget sitting in my dorm apartment on the floor crying and him holding me and saying, I got you. Like, I got you. I know you got a lot of stuff. And regardless of what, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to do what your father did. Like, I'm going to be here. And he wanted to marry me. Like, he was ready. Straight off the college, like, I graduated. He bought me a computer so we could do the long distance thing because I was going back to New York. Like, he was all in. And my first thought was, oh, I'm graduating. We're breaking up. And he was like, no, but why? And I was like, well, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to get married. I'm too young. I still got to live my life. Like, I subconsciously had told myself I never wanted to get married and never want to have children because I did not want to repeat what if being a wife looked like what my mother went through, I didn't want it. So huh. I didn't want to be married. Um, That wasn't something that I was <laughs> aspiring to. So it's really interesting how the Lord has turned it around. And now I'm like, mm, where my husband at? And I ain't laying it down till he get here, you know? So he has really shifted things for me. But at the time, you know, at 21, 22 years old, here's this young dude from Virginia. I mean, in the South, people get married straight out of college. Right, right, right. Um, but at the same time, there was something in my gut that just, I didn't feel like I was in love with him. I didn't feel those things. I also had this idea that, again, because the world was teaching me love and not the Bible at the time. I thought that being in love meant he had to give me butterflies. It meant it needed to look like the movies. You know, I watched too many Disney movies and that's what I was hoping it needed to look like as opposed to standing on, hey, here's a man of God who is going to love me through this stuff and yeah. we're willing to unpack it together. But I did not have the maturity, not phys not in the physical realm or in the spiritual realm to right. see that or understand that or value that. Um so yeah, shout outs to him. Shout outs to <laughs> shout outs to all of the hymns. If you're any of my exes are listening to this, know that I love you and I thank you and I honor you for the journey and the process. And if you want to have a conversation, we can have one because I also believe that part of the journey to true healing and forgiveness yeah. is being able to face your past and being able to just it doesn't mean you got to be friends. It doesn't yeah. mean you have to welcome those people back in your life. But sometimes that conversation to say, hey, I'm holding against you or, hey, I just need to get this off my chest so I can have peace. If right. anyone in my life who's done me wrong <laughs> wants to do that, I am open and I am here so you can have peace because I don't right. want anyone walking around with that weight and vice versa if I've hurt you. Right. The Lord knows that when I was broken, I ain't know no better. So I'm open to that too. And I'm humble enough to apologize for whatever I've done. And that's men or women. Like, because women, we hurt each other. Like, instead of walking as sisters in the kingdom and lifting each other up when we don't know ourselves, don't love ourselves, don't hold ourselves to the value that we should before God, we tear each other down. And so right. if there is anyone that I've hurt, I'm here to have a conversation. Right, right, right. 
That's dope. Um, I think that's that's fire because I mean, even me in the time that I these last couple months, this year, where God has put me in a space to use my platform to minister, um, the opportunity to reconcile with so many people has occurred. But the mm-hmm. reconciliation doesn't always look like the return of the friendship. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like my pastor Darius Daniel always says, you know, I love him. <laughs> you owe people love you do not owe them access you know what i'm saying so it's like you know and being able to give them that is fine you know what i'm saying because Mm -hmm. god calls us to do that but you know it's if 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 your discernment doesn't say that um it's time or they're even supposed to come back to your life then you know just you can keep that door closed and just keep it pushing so Mm -hmm. um yeah you know I, i like touching on this um childhood trauma stuff because it's so important because so many women um deal with that so a question i have for you um why is it and why do you think a lot of females believe that they have to go through a whole phase (laughs) you know it's interesting i don't know that i had one although i feel like being with any man that wasn't my husband is a whole phase but um i always the conviction was always there. I just didn't know. Like right. I was the type of chick that was like, I'm only sleeping with him. You feel me? Even if it's right. mad times, you feel me? But right. it's just him. It was very hard. I never knew how to date multiple people. I never knew how to like be switching them out. Um, right. and a few times that I tried, cause you know, when you grow up in the Bronx, you, you grow up with females who tell you like, sis, you need to be out here. Like, you need to right. have a starting roster. And like, right. I remember trying to be like my homegirls and like, it was just a hashtag fail. Like it just never worked for me. Like I just, I wasn't built to be a player. Like that just right, wasn't right, really right. hard for me. But I think that it is a form of ego and pride. You mm. know, it's like, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Mm. Um, That phase has everything to do with believing also that's one side of the coin right the other side of the coin of the quote-unquote whole phase is the fear of missing out like i'm gonna miss out on something yeah life is so short so i gotta get all of it in as much as possible because i can't because there's again this distorted idea that one is not enough yeah there's no way that one person can fulfill you but you're absolutely right one person cannot that's why you're not supposed to put that on anyone. You right. put it on God. God right. is supposed to be the only entity that you put all of your being into to depend on, rely on, and to love you. What, right. Whoever he is, I don't care how much he loves the Lord. I don't care how surrendered he is. He is going to hurt you because people who love you are going to disappoint you. They're going to make you angry. You're going to, you're not going to wake up every morning liking them, but you're going to choose to love them anyway. And so. I think that, again, we have this Disney idea that it's supposed to look like, well, he going to take me for this and one person ain't enough. He can't give me everything. So I'm going to try to get everything I can before he gets here. Right. Um, And it's just it's just that's not it. But again, when we're not seeking his face for him to identify who it should look like and what it should look like. We're relying on what we've seen, which most of the time ain't it, right? Our, we don't have good examples of healthy relationships. 
or the movies, which literally doesn't show you the middle. It shows you the right. beginning where there was conflict and then you get to the end where it all works out. You don't see that maybe it took years from A to Z. You know, right. it could have taken 10 to 15 years before they got there. You don't know. And you give up really fast because something's not happening as quickly as you want it to be. And we're right. in a society where like every two years you trade in your car, you trade in your phone. It's this, you know, instant gratification and this upgrade that now people are having a really hard time committing, not just to a relationship, but to even a job. Like it's unheard of to hear people that they've been at a career for 20 years, you know, at the same company. People don't do that no more, let alone be in a relationship for 45 years, you know? So if you don't rely on the Lord, he says to be in it and not of it. If you're in this world, you're going to do what everyone else is doing, which is like every two years, you're going to find yourself in another relationship because you're going to need that upgrade. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And that's, that's a tough thing now because, you know, for a lot of us, we are not we, yeah, we are a lot. And we're in a space, we're in this different day and age where social media gives you these options, the options. A lot of options. And I was just saying um, yesterday night, I was saying how, how much harder it is because if you were, uh, a uh, 20 year old in 1991, all you could really see were the women on your block. That was it. Like the people from your area, the people you went to school with, and that's it. Now you can see Jenny in Minnesota. You can see Kiana in, in Los Angeles. You can see whoever across the whoever. world. Whoever. And if you, if your pockets is right, listen, I went to dinner once with a celebrity that I will shall not name. And one of the things that he said to me and my homegirl at the time was a man will have as many women as he can afford. Mm. I will never forget that statement. And I was just like, huh, clearly you're not following Jesus. But, you know, it was so telling that, again, when you have the option of homegirl in France, homegirl in Miami, homegirl in L.A., if your pockets is right, you can fly homegirl in LA here this week, Florida the following week, and it don't matter because everyone's far away and I can't get to you every week anyway because I got a job. So right. you thinking, oh, I'm special. He's flying me out, but he could be flying everybody out. So it's really, right. we cannot get caught up in material things. His actions and his words got to line up. Same for my right. brothers. If her words and her actions don't line up. And you got to be praying for God to give you the discernment. I wasn't asking God. I was just like, oh, he did that for me. Oh, he did this for me. That's so nice. And I got caught up in that and thinking, oh, this got to be the one. This got to be it. And it's like, no, you need the Lord to reveal. So now every time I meet a man, my first prayer is, Lord, reveal every hidden thing. Right. Right. Anything that is hidden or is trying to be hidden, Lord, reveal it. And when I tell you, Jesus be telling on these mother lovers. Like, I don't even be looking for it. It just lay on my lap. I'm like, well, dang. Maybe I didn't want to know this soon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> maybe, maybe I wanted a few more dates, you know? But Jesus be telling on the people if you ask him. He will. Right, 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 right. So with you being such a uh, um, a big advocate on celibacy, right? Um, Abstinence. Ooh, hold up. Thank There's you. A difference. There's a difference, you know, people be, 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 people throw around these words and they don't know what right. they're saying. You know, celibacy is a vow. 
Usually people who are celibate, they're priests, men and women of the cloth, nuns. These are people who have literally made a vow to never have sex again. Mm. <laughs> like literally, oh. I'm, I am celibate. I am giving my life to Christ in a way where like Jesus is my, you know, the Lord is my husband or my wife. I will not marry, right? Like in the scripture, Paul said, everyone is not to be married, but if you cannot deal with, <laughs> you know, the desires that you got, then go ahead and get married. Right. I'm a, I'm a go ahead and get married. So we're going <laughs> to say, we're going to say that I'm abstaining from intercourse until marriage because I do not want to take a vow of celibacy. Right. I am trying to be fruitful and multiply. I'm trying to right. get it on and popping <laughs> as soon as we leave the reception. Okay. All right. Cause I got some catching up to do, sir. So. Woo! Lord. Wait, wait. Now we're an unconventional Christian podcast, and yes. it's, it's, this is very, it's a very unconventional <laughs> question here. Um, is there a fear when it comes to being for someone who has already, um, who's already had sex in the in your you know, in the past? Now you get married. Is your and, that's, and that thing that thing don't work. That thing don't work. <laughs> I'm over here you know, like, what do I say it best? How no, it's all there good. A fear? You, know, you yeah. don't have to be politically correct with me. I, you know, I'm listen. I got five brothers. I grew up in the hood. Like you, people yeah. one thousand. And the interesting thing is that is what everyone tells me. Like, yo, are you not scared that like, yo, it's just it's gonna be whack. Like that's really what the question is. Like, what if it's whack? And Here's the thing. Sex is important in any relationship. Intimacy is important in any relationship. But here's the thing. I don't know about y'all, but sex that's just sex wasn't the best sex of my life anyway. The best sex of my life were people who I was connected to in mind, body, soul, and spirit. Like right. the people who, like I said, were my friend, who I could talk to about anything, who I felt safe with, who made me laugh. When we did sleep together, right. it was the best sex of my life, but not because he can put it down. I mean, it's not just that because there have been people who can technically put it down, but eh, it wasn't all that for me. So I think people don't realize that we're way more than just physical beings coming together. We're also spiritual beings coming together, and especially women who are way more mental and emotional and need to be mentally stimulated way more than physically. Um, so I'll put that there. And then the addendum is, it's funny, I used to say that I was waiting until I found the right person. I would not say that I was waiting till marriage because I subconsciously did not believe that I could wait. <laughs> I was right. like, that's too much pressure. The Lord knows me. He knows how I'm set up. <laughs> and right. uh, I'm not going to do that to myself. But then I was like, well, I'm already speaking failure over myself. You know, right. here's the thing. There's no condemnation if you trip and fall. Like any program, people who are in AA, or Narcotics Anonymous, like, hey, you might have a 20-year chip and you can fall the next day because it's one day at a time, right? And so, but the people who fell after 20 years of sobriety, the, their sponsors don't be like, well, that's it. Here you yeah. are, just just be an addict. No, they're like, okay. Start over. Late. You get to start over. And so I get to proudly say, hey, the goal, the mission is to do it his way and wait till marriage. If God forbid I slip, I have people who will encourage me. But I think that if I've come this far to sacrifice one of the hardest areas that is that most Christians won't give up, 
then then I think the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I'm going to keep it 1,000. I've had real unconventional prayers, if we're going to keep it in theme to the conversation, with the Lord about, hey, Jesus, this is what I need. This is the size. This is, you know, like, <laughs> I'll be talking to the Lord. Like, look, I need him to know this, to know that. I don't want to bind and rebuke the spirit of, like, not being equally yoked in the bedroom. Like, I pray all of that. Like, that's in advance, right? In advance, I'm like, we're just gonna mesh. It's gonna make sense, and and I pray about none of us having egos. Cause here's the thing: yeah. the first time you sleep with somebody, you're not gonna get it at the first try always. Anyway, like you gotta learn right. them, cause you've been with people, they've been with people, they got their preferences, so you gotta learn what they like, what their bodies like. So what's the difference? You did it yeah. before. Why can't you wait to do it for the person you're really supposed to be with for the rest of your life? So listen, my husband got to learn me and I got to learn him. And what an incredible journey to do it together and to do it in humility and in love and with God. So I'm excited for that moment that I get to be like a little girl, all nervous about what it's going to be like to get back on the bike. Because you don't forget how to ride a bike. So let's be clear. I'm going to be ready, but I'm still going to be nervous because yo it's been a while and what it you know what if i'm not good you know like all those things are still gonna come through your mind but you just gotta trust god more than you trust yourself and more than this need to be validated that that's not gonna happen i'm like look he's brought me too far to leave me in that area right right he gonna he gonna hold me down me and my jesus he gonna hold me down right right Okay, and, and 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 you know, I could go on and on um, today because there's so much to touch on. Jeez. Um, um, all right, two more questions before we dip out of here, because um, I wanted to touch on this as well. How has um, we talked about daddy issues, but, but also talking about like how has mommy issues affected you as a woman, um, just in your uh, relationship life as well you know i think mothers live vicariously through us Mm -hmm. they want so bad for us not to make the same mistakes that they made Mm -hmm. and so i'll never forget i i didn't you know you don't realize it but i attracted literally my father on paper like when my mom met my dad he was a professor legally still married but separated right and would have had four children but one of my siblings passed away um, I met a professor 10 years older than me. My parents' age difference is seven years. He was legally married, was separated, asked me to be his girlfriend when his wife served him divorce papers. Mm-hmm. And he had four kids. But at the time, listen, I'm not going to speak bad about myself, but Sally, who things just go over her head at the time was not putting two and two together that you were literally dating your father. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but my mother saw it. Of course she saw it. What? Like, this dude got four kids. He's separated from his wife. What in the world is happening? And so my mom, I mean, went overboard. I mean, I will never forget my mother picking up the phone and calling this dude and telling him, like, if you don't leave my daughter alone, I'm going to kill you. Like, my mom's is like that. she was just like listen i don't like and i was still with him at the time so i ended up leaving my house going to stay with him because you don't accept this relationship i was just 
disobedient and dishonoring my mother. It was a mess. But, you know, I just wanted so bad to prove that I'm nothing like her, that right. I'm not going to make the same mistakes. So then it comes this ego thing, this pride thing about proving everybody wrong. As right. opposed to just listening to wisdom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and that's happened to me so many times, but my mother not knowing didn't give me the room and the space either. She was just very like her whole arm in it. I wouldn't even say she was holding my hand. She had me in a chokehold. Like, look, by any means necessary, I'm going to make sure that you don't become me. Right. And Jesus didn't do that. Like, Jesus would want nothing more than for us not to be living in sin, but he doesn't choke us and restrain us and say, Hey, you need to stop doing that. Or I'm going to cast curses on you. You know, like he's a loving father. And so I think sometimes our parents don't have the emotional maturity or capacity to know what to do with how much they love us and how right. bad they want us to not commit the same mistakes. And so it took a lot of maturity, a lot of humility to be able to have some really, really, really hard conversations with my mother and, and just things happening, arguing, fighting, not talking to each other. Like we went through the gamut of things, um, but it was necessary to get us to where we are today. But it's so real that need and that desire for that generational curse to not repeat itself. And since my mother isn't surrendered to Jesus the way that I am, it's hard for her because she doesn't have the context to literally trust God. Like we literally had a conversation two days ago where we don't agree because, you know, my mom's like, what's this world coming to? And I said, well, you know, hopefully Jesus will come back soon. And she's like, he ain't coming back. And if he comes back, they just going to crucify him again. And I said, mom, the whole point is his second coming means the world's going to end. And she just doesn't believe that Jesus is coming back. And she doesn't believe that when we die, there's a heaven or a hell. She believes you go from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Like right. you're just going to be in the ground. And so I have to every day work on not putting that on her, my beliefs and respecting where she is and just loving her and having fruitful conversations, even in the midst of the fact that we don't agree on the same. Although she loves God and reads the Bible and prays with me, we're just not always on the same page about theology and the scriptures um right and that's okay <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh, my final question because i have a million more questions but which means i probably just don't i'm gonna probably have to take you back to live one of these days <laughs> <laughs> a part two yes um final question is as a afro-latina woman in the um industry um how um how hard is it being a, an afro-latina in the it, uh, in the acting industry currently? It's a lot of things. I think for a long time, I was never Latina enough. I was never sexy enough, pretty enough. These are the things I thought because, you know, when someone, the expectation of a Latina is Jennifer Lopez, Dama Hayek, Sofia Vergara. Mm -hmm. That's not what I look like. And even when you turn on Univision with Telemundo, the weather girl got on... <laughs> You know, she going to the club to give you the news and the weather, you know. So I was always feeling like, oh, I'm I'm not pretty enough or sexy enough to be a Latin woman. Right. Right. And so then you get into an industry where you're definitely not Latin, um, not with a last name Chapman, not when you look like that. None of those things. So it 
it took me to put my mother's last name on my headshot for me to start getting called into Latin roles, wow. but still never booking. Um, cause it's always the light skinned, more European looking girl that books the role. So that has always been a challenge. I mean, obviously the industry is shifting now. We're the token wanted girls right now. So prayfully, it's not just a phase. It, it's here to stay. Right. Um, but the reality is then there's the, <laughs> the duality of being an Afro Latina who's also a believer. Um, when I did the movie open with Essence on BET, the movie was about an open marriage. And I will never forget people commenting on her page. What kind of Christian are you? You're advocating open marriages. Da, da, da. And no one has even seen the movie. So you don't even know what the message of the movie is. Right. If maybe the message is teaching you that maybe it really doesn't work. I don't know. Watch it. Go on BET. It's there. Open. Tell right. me what you think. Um, but the scene, this was before I was an ordained minister, but at the end of the day, I already had my Bible study. Um, I was a minister in training at the time when the movie came out and I'll never forget. I have a lingerie scene where literally I take off my robe, the robe comes down and I'm just in bra and panties. And I remember calling my pastors like, so this trailer is about to come out <laughs> and you about to see my kitty, my kitty. Um, but you know, and it's that thing, like somehow you're not Christian enough. You're not surrendered to the Lord enough. I remember when we used to go to one church, you know, I've had friends who grew up in the South and Sarah Jakes is a more unconventional kind of minister. And it was like, wow, I can see her knees. Like I've never seen my first lady's knees. Like the All fact right. that she dresses a particular way. So it's such a challenge to be this new wave of what it means to be a Christian and be a woman and be good looking and be in the industry right. um, because people want to condemn you or want to qualify you of what it means to really represent him and do your job. Somehow I should never take on a role of cussing. I should never have sex, but this is what people are doing. And it's not me. I am literally you know, stepping into the life of someone else that their story deserves to be told and be represented. Now, granted, I pray before every role. I ask the Lord if this is something that he wants me to do, because again, I don't believe that my roles are for me. They're for assignments right. and not necessarily even the role, but maybe there's someone on set I'm called to meet and called to minister to. And that's the role and the vehicle that got me there to save that person. So we get too caught up in the semantics and not the assignment. Like, where is the Lord really leading you? And at the end of the day, I think what I need to work on at this juncture in my career is to be so, so secure in who I am in the duality of an actor and a pastor. Yeah. That no matter what people say, I'm going to be okay. You know, um, I just shot a movie, um, called Cult Fear of God, where there's a pastor who, you know, manipulates the scripture to start a cult and he basically rapes the women. And I remember when the director pitched me the script, like, listen, I wrote this for you in mind, but I know you're going to say no, because her assumption was because I'm a minister, I wouldn't do it. And after I prayed about it, the Lord really convicted me. You're going to let just a regular actor do this and not be able to have real conversations of the dangers of what happens when people manipulate the scriptures. Right. You're a minister and an actor. There's no other better person than to represent this kind of story where people are automatically going to be like, well, this is why I don't go to church and be like, no, no, no. 
this is about us showing and representing what happens when we don't do it right. Right. And so I just felt called that I had to do this role. So again, there's a lot of preconceived conceptions and judgments, which is why a lot of times for a long time, I didn't like telling people I was a minister because I want people to get to know Francelli first. Right. You know, like just get to know me because I think the mo- the moment people hear, oh, she's a pastor, she's a minister, they already have their own idea of who I am, what I think. And I promise you, I'm going to surprise you. I'm <laughs> I'm not your average minister. So. Nah, I already know. That shit, that shit has tag. Not your ha- average <laughs> minister right there. So um, uh, before we wrap, we usually uh, we have a rapid, rapid questions. Okay. Um, so keep it short, Sally. Keep it short. Nah, it's just rapid. It's uh, it's yes, no, maybe so, or whatever the answer is. So, uh, okay. first one: BX versus LA for food, and what's your favorite? Mm, can I say New York and not BX because the Bronx has the worst food? Okay, but New York. New York has the best food. Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, if you could add one thing to the minister walk, what would it be? Thing to the minister walk. Oh, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. The first thing that came to mind was really vain, like a fly closet. Like if I'm gonna be preaching all the time, I need the prerequisite that the Lord just blesses me with, like fly fits. Fly fits. Absolutely. I need to be sponsored. The minister <laughs> walk needs to be sponsored. The right. way like actors get sponsored and they just get clothes sent to them, can ministers get that too? That needs to happen. <laughs> Covered by God is working on it for you. Covered by God. Is is Do you know how many? Shirt. I got two hoodies. I got five shirts. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for that. Um, favorite gospel song? Oh. That can't happen, but the gospel song that I'm listening to right now, like consistently, oh, is Coritos Melody by Israel Houghton and, and the New Breed because it reminds me of my grandmother. Like it's all these old Spanish Pentecostal songs that my grandma used to sing when I was a kid and she passed away like five years ago. And so hearing that album and hearing those songs just remind me of my grandmother. So that's the song right now. <laughs> I'm gonna check those out. Uh, braids or twist out? I mean, you gotta love a girl with braids. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my last question is: What's your favorite rap bar about faith, uh, Christ, in a non-gospel song? Oh, a non-gospel song. Ooh, technically, is it gospel? So Justin Bieber just dropped this song with Brandon Lake. Brandon is part of Maverick City Music. And Brandon spit a verse that said, I got a master's in forgiveness from all these Judas kisses. I was like, yo. Yo, I'm posting that in my I'm posting that on my page. I said yo. I mean I'm using that bar as a caption. Bars. Bars. <laughs> bars, 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 bars. I'm like, if that ain't my life, I gotta Masters in forgiveness from these Judas kisses. Like, Yo, no, that's a bar. That's a bar right there. I'm, I'm still. Like, if you see it on my caption, don't say nothing. <laughs> Just keep scrolling and like the Just picture. Keep it moving. Right? Just keep it moving. Because he's not getting the credit. All right. <laughs> 
Yo, Sally, it's been amazing to have you on the Uncle It's Luke been so Christian much fun. Podcast. We are Thank both you. on two different coasts and we are both hot right now because the Oh my god, sweating. Not... Well, I don't know about I've been I've been over here dying. I keep looking in there, I'm like, oh let me wipe this off. But you know what? It was meant to happen this way because we are hot for God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. I, I thank you for coming on here. And guys, this is another episode of the Unconventional Christian Podcast. See you again soon.